Well, good morning. Welcome to TBA Church, where we are living as the hands and feet of Jesus to touch the world around us. And we're going to talk about some practical ways that we do that this morning. My name is Brian Legg. I'm one of the pastors on our lead pastor team here. So glad that you could be here for worship with us today. Today is actually the last day of our summer series. Through the whole summer, we've been going through a series called Polluted, looking at the book of James. And it's interesting to step back and have some context of what's happening in the book as, as we get to this last section. It seems like through the whole book of James, James is one of these guys, he's a straight shooter. And he's been putting it to us. And if you've been here week after week, you know what that's like. There have been some heavy Sundays where we've talked about some major things. It's talking about the practical ways that we live out our faith and avoid being polluted by the world. And he has really been hammering us on some things. In fact, I think, James, you could really kind of compare him to a shepherd. You remember the stories we've told about shepherds and the different roles the shepherds play and how at times a shepherd will look at his sheep and there's one that keeps wandering away and, and he's worried about that sheep and he wants to make sure that it stays protected and stays in the fold. And so what does the shepherd do? He takes his rod and he breaks its leg. And it sounds horrible and cruel and mean and painful and all those things. But in reality, the shepherd's trying to spare him. He's trying to save him, to keep him from going into danger. But what does the shepherd do after he breaks his, the sheep's leg? He takes that little lamb and he'll put it around his shoulders and he'll carry him on his shoulders and he'll, he'll speak to him and he allows, the she- allows that sheep to hear his voice over and over and he comforts him and he reminds him that he's here for them and he's protecting him and he's taking care of him. And it's kind of what James is doing here. Through the whole first part of his letter, the first four chapters and the first half of chapter five, it's just one thing after another after another. Here's how you need to live. Here's the things you need to pay attention to. Here's what things should look like in your life. If you're living out your faith, this is what it looks like. And he goes through thing after thing after thing. And then he gets to the end, the end of chapter 5. And he starts here and he says, basically, I've taught you all about what to do. I've reminded you the things that you already knew. I've reminded you how you're supposed to live out your faith. Now let's talk about how do we get there together. How do we do it? I mean, we've talked about all the practical stuff, but I know it's hard. It's not easy. It's not easy to live that out. But how are we going to get there? We're going to get there by coming together and praying. We're going to pray together. We're going to walk together. We're going to do life together. This is how we're going to accomplish it. And that's where we are this morning. We're going to take time to talk about what it looks like to do life together, to pray together, to carry one another's burdens. Whether circumstances are good or bad, whether they're happy or sad, whether we're going through physical pain or problems, or we're healthy. In all of those circumstances, James calls us to pray. Are you suffering, happy, sick, It doesn't matter. Pray. So let's start this morning. I'm actually going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray together as we start our time together learning about James. And then I'm going to ask you just to remain standing as we read our passage this morning. Pray with me. God, we simply ask that you show up this morning. That you be here in a very real way. That you speak to our hearts. That we would have open hearts, open ears to hear what you would have to say. God, we pray for peace and we pray for comfort as has already been shared As a church family, we're going through a rough time this morning, but God, we know that in our weakest moments is when you show up the strongest. And so we simply ask you to do that today. God, if there are things in our hearts that need to be challenged today, may they be challenged, and may we be open to that. If there are places that need to be comforted, I pray that you would give comfort. God, we just trust you, we love you, and we commit this time to you. Teach us well, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Just remain standing, if you will. James chapter 5, starting with, starting with verse 13, going through verse 20. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. 
Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. You can be seated. I want to take some time this morning, and we're not going to spend as much time as we could on this because, honestly, we could go for hours and hours digging into the deep truths that James has in this little section. But I want to just walk through verse by verse and point out a few things to you. Starting in verse 13, he says, Are any of you suffering hardships? Let me give you a little bit of context of what's going on in James. James is talking to Jews who are literally being persecuted. This is real time going on. They've been driven from their homes. They're exiled. They're living in other places. And they literally are fighting for their lives most of the time. They have people coming after them, threatening to kill them. And they are being made fun of. And they're, they're going through all kinds of hardships. And so it's almost a no-brainer. He says here, are any of you suffering hardships? Well, yes. Every person he's writing to is suffering hardships. They're going through some kind of trial, some kind of hard time. And notice what he says. Then pray. And see, I'd say it's the same for us. Are you going through a rough time? Things don't seem to be going the way they should be going. You're struggling? Then pray. Stop and pray. But look at how he goes on. Are any of you happy? It's almost ironic that he says this. Are any of you happy? In fact, some theologians argue that they think James may be, be uh, being a little sarcastic here. And I don't really see James being the sarcastic guy. I mean, he's a straight shooter. He puts it out there black and white for us. But think about this. Are you happy? I mean, these people are in the midst of persecution. They're being chased down. Their lives are being threatened. I think he's speaking to those who have realized that they can still have joy in the midst of struggle, who have come to a point in their faith to where they realize that God's big enough to carry them through even the tough times. And he says, if that's you, if, if that's where you are, if you've found joy in your circumstances, if you're happy, then you should sing praises. In other words, encourage those around you. Sing God's praises. Tell people how miraculous God is. Tell them how big he is and how awesome he is. Help carry them through the tough times. I'd say it's the same for us. If you're in a good place in your spiritual journey, then sing praises. Encourage others. Do what God's asked you to do in that moment. And then he goes on in 14. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. You've probably heard us use this verse a lot of times here at church. When we've had someone who's come, has been sick, has been battling cancer, or been going through something, and some kind of physical illness, and they'll come forward and we take time to pray for them, and we anoint them, we take a little drop of oil and put it on their forehead, and it's a symbol of God's presence, and we pray for God's healing. And I think there's a really good chance James is talking about that here this morning. But there's some interesting things about this verse that I don't know that we look at all the time. You know the word that he uses for sick here? The word is actually asthenio. Asthenio can mean sick, physically sick, but it also can mean weak or weary, and especially spiritually. So really there's a couple things that James could be saying. And when you look through the New Testament, this, this same word is translated about 50-50 throughout the New Testament. One time it means sick and it's a physical ailment. One time it means more of a picture of being weak and not being able to do things for yourself. 
So think about it a little differently. What if James is talking to those who are spiritually weak, who have hit a point where they don't really know where to turn in their journey, who've hit a point that they feel hopeless and feel like they've, they've lost all sense of hope in their life? Either way, they desperately need God to show up, don't they? Isn't that what he's referring to? They desperately need him to show up? And I don't think it matters so much whether it's physical or whether it's spiritual. They need God desperately. And I bet there's some of us here this morning that are that way. I know the Dorado family's there right now. They need God to show up. They don't understand. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of struggle. For us as a church family, it's hard. Here's a guy that's on staff with us, walking step in step. What do you say? What do you do? James is saying clearly, these are moments where when you hit that point, whether it's physical sickness, whether it's emotional pain, whether it's a spiritual condition, you call on those around you who are stronger in their faith in that moment to come and pray for you, to lift you up, to walk alongside you, to carry your burden. It's also interesting to me the word that he uses for anointing here. The word is alepho. And it means to anoint, to plaster, to coat, to daub, or to smear with liquid. Now, I don't know how many of you have really paid attention when we've done anointing here in service, but this is not what we do. We take a little drop of oil and put it on someone's forehead, and it's simply a symbol of God's presence. The anointing that he's talking about here is more of a medical anointing that happened in their time. In fact, most Jews would not actually go to a physical doctor. They would go to one of the spiritual leaders in their church, and they would ask them to pray over them and to anoint them. And there were two things that were going on. One was the prayer that would happen for the spiritual condition and for the physical condition of the person. But the second thing was they would literally use oil to help heal the wounds. It was a physical ointment that they would use. You're talking about living in a place that's basically a desert, that's very dry and has lots of heat, And so they would use oil often to anoint the head where they would literally pour it over a person's head just to soothe their dry skin and to to soothe them from the heat. They would use it to put it on wounds. The story of the Good Samaritan, you see oil being used there to treat his wounds. And it was something like an antibiotic ointment that we would use where you put it on the skin and it helps to keep the skin soft and allow it to heal correctly, keeps it pliable. And the word here literally could be translated to rub or to massage. In fact, that's your next blanks on on your... sheet if you're following along, but to rub or to massage with oil. And it's this picture of them putting oil on a person and rubbing it in. Sometimes it was used for athletes who were competing in competition and and they would come back and their muscles are sore and they would rub that oil under their muscles and massage that and try to help them to heal. Or people who literally were being persecuted and, and up against physical problems. So it was this medication type of thing. But I think there's also another aspect of that we can look at. Just as the word for sickness could mean physical or spiritual, in this way, when we talk about oil, I think it could be a literal anointing of oil and rubbing and massaging of oil into the person, or I think it could be a metaphorical outpouring of God's love in that situation. What if they were coming to the spiritual leaders to simply restore them, to help them have hope again, to help them see how powerful God is in their life and how powerfully he can show up and what amazing things that he can do? I think there's two aspects that we can look at as we go through James' teaching. And in fact, it's interesting that the idea of spiritual weakness and this idea of this metaphorical outpouring of love, it kind of flows better with some of the things that James is teaching. 
Now, I don't think we're wrong to teach about being healed from sickness or disease or any of those things because it literally can be translated that way. But I think there's another aspect to it that we often tend to look over or miss. What if we paraphrased James a little differently? What if we said it like this? Are any of you weak? Are you feeling defeated? Are you feeling beat up? Then call on the elders, those who are spiritually strong, to come alongside of you, to walk with you and to help carry your burden and pray with you. I love the picture that's painted there. Ask those who are in a place that they're spiritually strong. Ask those who have a stronger faith than you do right now to come alongside of you. It doesn't just say to come and pray with you, but it literally is translated to walk alongside, to go with you, to carry your burden, to be with you. This is the picture of church family that we talk about all the time. This is what it looks like to be Jesus' hands and feet to one another. It's a good picture. You know, even as I was reading some of this stuff this past week, I was honestly just convicted as a pastor. So often people look to pastors and and they see their primary roles as being teachers. We teach on Sunday morning and tell you about Scripture and then being counselors to help you through hard times, to give you good advice and to help push you in a good direction. And I was reminded as I was reading James this past week that counsel is not my primary gift and it's not my primary role as your pastor. My role is to point you back to God, to help you see biblical truth, to help you feel his comfort in those moments where you're in pain. And so many times it's easy to be quick to give advice and to give counsel and to, to tell you what you need to do to fix those problems in your life. When in reality, we just need to stop and hit our knees together and pray about it and ask God for perspective in that moment as to what he wants to do and how he wants to show up. I think for all of us it would be interesting how our perspective would change if we would just stop in those moments of weakness and ask God to show up. If we would humble our hearts and surrender to him and follow his leading. James continues, verse 15 Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well and if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Now this verse tends to be a little troubling to some people. There are a lot of people who translate this very literally. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. And they look at the idea of physical sickness and they go, if you just have enough faith, God will show up and he'll heal you. I believe that. But I don't believe it the way most of us look at it. See, I think the problem is we expect God to show up the way we want God to show up instead of trusting that God has a better perspective and he'll show up the way he sees his best. Because I think, again, James could literally be talking about a physical sickness here. It's it's the same exact word. It could be physical sickness or it could be a spiritual weakness. And so if you talk about a physical sickness, I believe that you can pray in faith and God will heal. I've seen him do that. But I've also seen where we've prayed for people for healing and they've died. And then what do you do? Did God not heal? Did he not show up? Was he not faithful to his word in that moment? I don't think so. See, I think God sees things differently than we see things. I think he understands things differently than we can possibly understand. And I think there's times that he heals in ways or even protects in ways that we can't understand or comprehend. And I wish we could. I'd like to give you a good, pretty explanation, but sometimes it's just the mystery of God where we don't know the answer. And we can't see his perspective, and we can't see exactly the details of his plan, but we have to trust that it is his perfect plan. 
Think about that same verse, translating the word a little differently. What if this is a a picture of spiritual weakness? How does that look different to talk about the prayers of the faith can come alongside and heal your spiritual weakness? It's a picture of restoration, a picture of healing of our hearts, a picture of restoring hope in our lives in moments where we don't feel like we have any hope. I see that happen all the time where someone comes alongside and they pray and they speak words of encouragement to you and they walk alongside you and they remind you, you're not alone in this. You're not walking by yourself. There are people around you who love and support you and they are a representation of God's love in our lives. We all need that. Probably more often than not. See, to me, again, it doesn't matter whether it's physical or spiritual so much, but I think there are a couple key elements that we can take out of this. And the first is this. When you think about the person in this situation, think about how they're coming. They've hit a point where they feel hopeless, a point where they do not feel the strength, a point where they they don't think that they can do it on their own. And so they call out to someone for prayer. They call out to somebody for help, and they're coming with a broken and surrendered heart. Each time you see this, as a person coming with a broken and surrendered heart, they're in a place where they are willing to accept help. They're in a place where they're ready for God to reach out and do something in their lives. And then the second thing you see is how God shows up in the strong faith of a person who's in a good place. You go to someone, and the term used here is go to the elders, but it really is just a representation of those who are spiritually strong. They're in a place where their faith is strengthened right now, where they're able to encourage you, where they're able to tell you how God's going to show up in an amazing way and believe that and have faith in that. And sometimes when you're in those darkest places... It's hard to have that kind of faith, isn't it? It's hard to trust that God's going to show up. And so we go to someone who's in a place where they have that strong faith and they can pray that faith over us and they can walk alongside us to remind us all the times that God's been faithful in our lives and all the times that God's been faithful in their lives and how he's going to show up. And again, sometimes it doesn't look exactly like we want it to look or like we think it should, but God shows up. I don't think it's by accident either that James talks about sins being forgiven here. It seems like it's just this statement that's like thrown in. I mean, where'd that come from? We're talking about being sick or being weak or all these things. What does that have to do with sin? Read through the Gospels and look at each time that Jesus heals somebody. What happens in those moments? He doesn't just heal them. He doesn't just go to the lame man and say, get up and walk. He doesn't just go to the guy who's blind and say, now you have your sight restored. What is it that Jesus is saying in those moments? He says, your sins are forgiven. In fact, the Pharisees are criticizing him at one point when he heals the lame man. And Jesus turns to him and he goes, okay, well, you tell me, what's easier? To tell this guy that his sins are forgiven or to tell him to take up his mat and walk because he's lame? And each time there's this connection of spiritual and physical, of forgiveness of sins as well as healing of the physical body. And I don't think that that was coincidental. The Jews didn't see life as being separate the way you and I tend to see life. We compartmentalize everything. We have church over here in this box, and we have school and work in this box, and we have our relationship with our family in this box, and with our neighbors and friends and other things we do. We've got stuff spread out all over, and we don't ever let the boxes touch. But for the Jews, it was all one and the same. It was life, and life is spiritual. It's all connected. There is no separation. You can't possibly separate sin or restoration of the spiritual side without looking at the physical side at the same time. They all go together. 
It's interesting to think about the heart condition of the people who are being healed. Where were they? What attitude did they come with? What was their mindset? Again, they're coming from a position of brokenness and surrender. I think not only did these people see that they could walk for the first time, not only did they physically see for the first time, but there was a picture of a a new spiritual sight that happened in the same moment. There was a picture of walking spiritually for the first time for them to where they began to understand who God is and how Jesus was showing up in their life. Their faith came to life for the first time. They were healed both ways, spiritually and physically. And it's a beautiful picture as we see Jesus work there. And I look around the room and I see a lot of us who are broken. We're struggling. We feel isolated and alone. And I can't help but wonder, is there sin in our lives that is putting us there? I know it's a hard question. I know it's not something you want to think about. But is there sin in our lives that's separating us from God, that's helping cause us to be isolated and far from Him? And hear me on this, because I'm not suggesting that because we have sin in our lives that, that God will give us personal affliction. He could, but I don't think that's how He normally does. But I do know that sin causes separation from God, and it causes us to feel isolated. It causes us to feel like we're alone in whatever we're walking through. We're the only one that's experiencing this. That's exactly the power sin has in our lives. It's like a weed that keeps growing deeper and deeper roots and holding on more and more and smothering out all the rest of our life. And we've used that illustration before about the only way to get rid of sin is to literally pull the weed by the roots and get it out because if you just break it off, it's going to come right back. You know that. You've seen the rain that's happened. You know you've got these weeds in your yard and how they do. They take over everything, don't they? I've got a set of bushes in my yard that the weeds, it doesn't matter how many times I pull the stupid things, they just keep coming back and growing through it. It's so bad I take my weed eater and cut the weeds out of the top of my bushes. And that's how weeds grow, and they just overtake everything. And if you don't get to the core of them and pull them out by the roots, you can't get rid of it. Sin separates. It causes us to feel isolated. Stivy talked about this last week, how when we have a pattern of sin in our life, it's like we're literally trampling on the cross. And I know some of you felt really uncomfortable when he did that, but he laid a cross here on stage and literally got up and walked on the cross. He said, that's what we're doing. We're trampling it underfoot, what Jesus did for us when we have sin in our lives. And he called us to repentance and confession. I didn't get to be here last week in second service. So I really don't know what things looked like. I was here first service, and one of my daughters was sick, so I had to go home second service, and Sherry and I traded so she could be here. But I stood in front of the church in first service when Stavia asked us to come up, and the prayer team was here, and some of the pastors were here. And I looked across the room, and here's what I saw. I saw God speaking clearly to hearts. I could see the Holy Spirit working on people. And I saw a lot of people resist and reject what God was doing. And I know what you're thinking. You're going, well, how do you know what God was saying to me? How can you possibly see that? It was obvious. 
I look at how your eyes shift back and forth nervously and how you shift in your seat and how you grab the seat tight in front of you or how you keep your head down and look at the floor because you don't want anybody to make eye contact because it's uncomfortable. And you know what that feeling is? That feeling is God speaking to you. That feeling is the Holy Spirit convicting your heart, talking to you, asking you to respond in some way. And I looked around the room and I saw a lot of people reject that. And I walked away going, what's it going to take? What's it going to take to get our attention? Honestly, the question that came to my mind was, why do we even come to church? What's the point? If we're coming week after week after week and we're hearing biblical truth, and you've got a lot of that this summer. As we've gone through James, there's been biblical truth after biblical truth that we have addressed, that have spoken to our hearts, has ripped me apart. I'm sure it's doing the same to you. It's challenged how we're living our lives and how we're living out our faith and how we do that practically. And we hear it week after week after week, but what if nothing changes? What's the point? If we just keep saying no to God, keep rejecting, keep pushing away. See, I'm convinced that God is calling us to revival here at TBA. I'm convinced that he wants to see spiritual awakening here in South Lakeland, in this community and beyond. But that doesn't happen until we deal with our junk. That doesn't happen until we choose to be obedient. That doesn't happen until we start pulling the sin in our lives out by the root of the weed that's there and doing something about it. And I think that's where James is going as he goes into the next verse. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. He's saying before you hit rock bottom, before you get to that place to where you've got to reach out to somebody who's spiritually strong to pick you up and carry you, before you hit that point in your life, do something about it. Confess your sin. Get rid of those things in your life. Clean that up. Talk to somebody about it. And most of you read this scripture and you panic. You go, there's no way I'm getting in front of the church and telling them what I've done wrong. Nobody wants to know that. That's not what I'm asking you either. That's not healthy. It's not right. It's not how it's supposed to be. But he's calling us to confess to those who our sin have affected. He's calling us to confess to those who we're close to, who we trust, who are our friends, who will walk alongside us, who will support us and encourage us and hold us accountable. People who will love on us and accept us where we are in the journey, but at the same time smack us in the head when we need it. And some of us need that often. He's saying, don't get to that point. Do something about it. Get rid of the sin in your life so that I can show up and you can hear my voice and you can be obedient to those things and you can allow me to speak through you. He goes on to say, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power, produces wonderful results. It's hard for us to see it. But it's amazing how God moves when we choose to confess those things in our life. And we take sin's power away by confessing that to someone and asking for accountability. And confession's a two-part thing. You have to confess to God first, but then you need to confess to someone else so that they can walk with you on the journey. And it also goes beyond that because I think it also requires repentance to where we literally turn and walk the other direction to get away from that sin. God wants to do some amazing things in our community, but it's not going to happen until we make the choice 
to walk away from those patterns of sin in our lives and allow him to work through us. We have to be obedient. Skip down to verse 19 and 20 with me. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. I'm not going to say a whole lot about this, but this is what I'll say. If you are the one of those that's in that place where you're experiencing joy, where you're experiencing happiness within God, if you're in a good place spiritually, if you're strong spiritually, who are you bringing with you? And who are you reaching out to that desperately needs someone to reach out to them? Because I can promise you that not everybody's in the same place in this room. There's some of us this morning that are struggling and are weak and need someone to come alongside of us. There's others here who are strong, who you're in a good place, who God's been speaking to your heart. He's been challenging you and helping you to grow and you're walking with him. Who are you bringing with you if that's you? Who are you reaching out to and sharing your life with, sharing your story with, sharing your faith with? Who's God laying on your heart? Be obedient. Speak to them. Be Jesus' hands and feet to that person. And then go back to verse 17 and 18. And this is an interesting illustration that James throws in. In fact, a lot of people go, why in the world did he talk about Elijah here? What did this have to do with anything? And it seems kind of random. It's like he's moving along, he's talking about a specific topic, and all of a sudden he throws in the story from the Old Testament about Elijah praying for no rain, and there was no rain, and then he prays for rain, and there is rain. And what does that have to do with anything? Well, I think it's extremely pertinent here. He starts out talking about how Elijah was human, just as we are. In other words, Elijah experienced highs and lows. He experienced good times and bad times. He had moments where he was strong in his faith and walking along great, and he had moments where he was scared running for his life because some woman was chasing him. You remember that story of Jezebel chasing him down, and right after he just had this amazing experience where he calls down fire from heaven and God shows up and he defeats all the prophets of Baal. He's on this spiritual high, and the next day he's running for his life. And we look at him and we go, How do you get there? How does that happen? Look in the mirror. Because it happens to us too, doesn't it? We have those moments where God shows up and he does amazing things and he's faithful and the very next day we're falling apart. And we can't seem to see the... We just can't seem to see up at all. And I love what he says. God showed up, spoke to Elijah. Elijah prays earnestly for no rain and there's no rain. Three and a half years, God closed up the clouds. Israel was in drought, no rain. And then God lays it on his heart to pray again, and Elijah prays again, earnestly prays. And God doesn't just send a little bit of rain. He sends rain that restores the land, that, that refurbishes the land, that, that brings new plants, that, that brings new growth, new life. He restores Israel in this time. And he'll do the same in our lives. We're talking about a place that was dry, that was parched, that was desert-like. And God sends rain and restores it completely. And for a lot of us, that's a picture of our heart. Dry, parched, cracked, hopeless, no life in it. And I think James is saying... The prayer of that righteous person that you go to will restore your soul. It'll take that parched, that dry heart, 
and it'll give complete restoration to you, give you hope anew. Is your, if your heart is dry and parched, God wants to send his healing rain in your life. And he'll do that through our church family. That's how he works. He works through his people. It's a picture of us coming together to carry one another's burdens. It's a picture of us confessing our sin to one another, holding each other accountable, walking through life together, literally coming alongside and doing life together and praying for one another. Band, you guys can go ahead and come up. I don't know where you guys are this morning. I don't know which one of these categories of people you might put yourself into that James is talking to. Some of you may be that person who's happy, who's in a good place, who even if things around you are not so good, you still have joy because you know how amazing God is and he's showing up in your life and he's carrying you and walking through that. If you are, that's great. I would challenge you to pray for somebody. See who God's laying on your heart. Maybe you need to go talk to somebody this morning just to share your story, to encourage, to give them hope. But I bet there's even more of us that are in that place of suffering or going through trials or struggling to understand things. I know there's a lot of us this morning as a church family who are struggling because of Nick's passing. We don't understand. We don't have the answers. We're wondering how God is working in that. And it's a place where we need someone to come alongside and pray with us and walk with us and lift us up. I know that's where Alicia and Beth and Isaiah are. Asking for the prayers of the elders to come around them, those who are spiritually strong, to lift them up and encourage them, support them. If that's you this morning, I want to ask you to do two things. The first thing I want to ask you to do is to come forward and pray. And our prayer team, our pastors, some of our ministry directors are going to be available to pray with you. But I want you to go a step beyond that. Because here's what I realize. I realize that so many times on Sunday morning we have these open times of response. We sing a song. We ask you to come forward and pray. And, and many of you do. And it's a great moment where you pray and you ask God to change something in your heart. And I believe he'll do that. But I also believe that many of us walk out of the door on Sunday morning and forget what happened. And we easily get pulled right back into the, the busyness of life and the things that are going on. And that moment kind of wanes. And we don't follow through with the things we're talking to God about. And so I want to challenge you that when you come forward this morning to bring your connection card with you out of your bulletin and just put enough information on there that we can contact you, an email address, your name, so that we can follow up with you. And we want to follow up with you this week and help you get connected with someone who can walk with you. Maybe you already know who that person is and have somebody that will walk with you. But you need someone who's going to encourage you and support you but is also going to hold you accountable. And I'm not talking about the kind of accountability where they just walk alongside and say, it's okay. I'm talking about the kind of accountability that asks you the tough questions, that challenges you when you're not doing things the way you should be doing them, that's willing to push back on you and go, no, you're not following God's will in your life right now. That's the kind of accountability we need in our lives. Someone that we trust enough to confess those things to, and they love us enough to walk with us and push us and challenge us. So I'm going to ask you to respond and to bring your connection card with you and allow us to follow up even beyond this morning. Some of you may be suffering physically. I know we've got several families in our church who are battling cancer right now. We've got several who are going through other illnesses or disease. Come and let us pray for you. We'll anoint you. We've got anointing oil here on the stage. and I can't promise you that God's going to heal you the way I'd like to see because I'm not God. And I don't have his perspective and I don't know his plan all the time. 
but I know what he asks us to do is to be faithful in coming to him and trusting him and surrendering our heart and standing before him. So that's what we're going to do. Some of you may be in that place of spiritual weakness and you just know you need hope. You need somebody to walk with you, to help you, to strengthen you. That's why we're family. That's why we gather on Sundays so that we can be that support and encouragement for each other. Allow us to be that. Don't worry about what the person next to you thinks. Don't worry about what the person behind you thinks. You listen to what God's saying to your heart and you respond. We'll conclude our response time this morning by receiving the love offering that we talked to you about to support the Dorado family and taking a special time to pray for them. But I would encourage you to take these next few minutes as the band plays to focus on where you are and what God's saying to you and respond accordingly. Let's pray. Would you stand? God, we just thank you that you were here among us and you were moving and speaking this morning. God, I thank you that you care about the things that we care about and the burdens that we carry. You've asked us to bring to you and to place them on you and to allow you to carry them for us. Help us to do that, God. I know how we are. God, as humans, we, we tend to want to hold on to those things and take care of it on our own, and essentially we try to be our own gods. But you've asked us to surrender. And it's in our moments of greatest weakness that you show up and you're the strongest. And so, God, whether we're here this morning simply hurting because of the, the Dorado family and, and, and wanting to walk with them and support them and love them and encourage them, or whether we're here and we're struggling with something else, God, whether it be a physical illness or a spiritual weakness or there's some sin that we can't seem to get rid of in our lives, God, whatever it may be, I pray that you would help us to come to you broken and surrendered this morning, asking you to show up, asking you to heal in our lives and trusting your outcome, trusting that you will heal even if it doesn't look the way we think maybe it should look or the way we want it to. Trusting that you know what's best for us and you have a perfect plan for us. God, we simply stand before you as broken people this morning asking you to move in our lives, asking you to heal, asking you to restore, to pour out your rain in our lives. We love you, God, and we commit this time to you. Move in your power.